This time on the Rule Right Radio podcast with New York Mike. Don't tell me there was anything presidential about Biden comparing George Floyd to Martin Luther King. There wasn't. And I take big issue with that. I think that's a huge mistake. That's more than a mistake. It's an insult. It's an insult to Martin Luther King. What, what did George Floyd do in his life to advance the lives of Americans, particularly Americans of color? If you want to focus on that, what did he ever do in his lifetime? He was a criminal. That's all he ever was. He never contributed, to my knowledge, one thing to the culture, to society, to his own people or anybody else. He died. He was murdered. It happened to be by a white cop. And it happened to be in a grotesque way. Does that elevate him to be talked about by the president of the United States on Martin Luther King Day? No, of course not. Where is the outrage? You can't let Biden off the hook on things like this. We give Biden a pass on too many things. We just let it go. We got to be what it takes to make people aware that this is a big mistake. This guy being in the office of the president, he shouldn't have been vice president. He wears black denim trousers and motorcycle boots and a black leather jacket with his name on the back. He does a patriotic podcast called Roll Right Radio. His name is New York Mike, and welcome to the show. This is Roll Right Radio. I'm New York Mike. Hi, this is Roll Right Radio. I'm New York Mike, and coming to you again from Excalibur Cigar and Scotch Lounge. Hey, listen to my podcast. I don't listen to a lot of all my podcasts. Every once in a while, you get a special one. So the one that I recorded on my way back from the Trump rally, and that was, what, Sunday morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, on the way back from Arizona. The next day, the Monday, was Martin Luther King Day. And so I said, well, let me, you know, let me get to Martin Luther King Day. We'll put the recording, the Trump rally out on Tuesday. And Tuesday comes along, and then they say, okay, Biden is going to have the one-year anniversary press conference on Wednesday. I said, oh, i got to wait for that. <laughs> well, I'd like to get right on top of things. I'm not going to get any more on top of anything like I got on top of that Trump rally. And I really enjoyed it. And then the problem was some of the things that was said on Monday, Martin Luther King Day, just blew me away. So I had taken some notes, and I looked at some stuff, and I'm going, this is great. And then I listened to Biden's two-hour press conference. And I'm like, first, what I had to do was yesterday, calm down, take my notes, write down what my thoughts were. I wanted to listen to some of the other commentary from some people. By the way, left and right, which I, I always do. and. Get their perspective, because, uh, frankly, I was just shocked. And I remain that way. Now, I have not had a dialogue with people I know. I want to say lean left. People I know who are committed Democrats. And I know a few. And I try to stay away from, you know, anything that's confrontational. If we're together and 
whatever we're doing, maybe we're smoking cigars, maybe we're riding motorcycles, we're going somewhere. We don't have to talk about politics every minute. It's going to come up because that's who I am. I'm not going to avoid it. I'm not going to avoid voicing my opinion about what's going on in the country. I love the country and I'm concerned. And so it comes up, but I'm not going to go and just purposely say, okay, this is ridiculous. But, and eventually it gets there. Trust me on that. But listening to Biden. So let me get into this MLK, Martin Luther King Celebration Day. When I heard Biden say, and I know people are going to say, Mike, why do you, you know, hang on to one little comment? It's not one little comment. It's kind of sort of indicative of Biden's thoughts when he says, and I'm pretty much quoting, even if I'm paraphrasing, it's pretty much what he said. He said that Martin Luther King's death didn't have the same impact as George Floyd's death. Boom. And I am paraphrasing a little bit. Sometimes you quote somebody because they're fantastic. I'm only quoting Biden. It was a horrible thing to say, a horrible comparison to make. Just horrible. And I, okay, there's somebody out there saying, well, when Martin Luther King died, we didn't see two years of burning down cities all over the country. We didn't see the impact. When you make a statement like that, the, the statement is also what's not said. You know, he didn't give a, a speech about it. He gave a statement, one line. In that one line, he said that George Floyd had more of an impact on America and American culture than Martin Luther King. And that's the unstated message. And there's no question that's a message. If you came down from out of space and you heard this statement for the first time, you didn't know who either one of these people were, you would give them equal billing as far as importance, as far as, I mean, everything. So you go, okay, well, George Floyd, Martin King, yeah, if he says so, he's the president of the United States, he knows it. There are people who weren't around in 1964. Guess what? There are millions and millions of people who know the name Martin Luther King but don't know anything about the man. You know, a lot of people like to quote King. I had a dream. Oh, was he a dreamer? Or the content of the character versus the color of their skin. But they don't get into all the little nuances unless somebody's taking a college course in the, the life and times of Martin Luther King. That could be. But other than that, and then more recently, some of these people who have been alive during George Floyd's life and death it's something, a president of the United States doesn't say stuff like that. Well, it's irresponsible. People used to say, oh, Trump is unpresidential. I never understood why, but they said it. He talked with that kind of New York kind of whatever flair, if you want to call it that. But he definitely had that attitude. I never saw anything wrong with it. He was CEO of his, his own corporation, his own life. Yeah, I know. People are going to say, okay. Yeah, well, you had a bankruptcy. Well, a lot of people did. Lots and lots and lots of people. Everybody didn't just go from zero to a billionaire overnight. Everybody's not Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, whoever else has done that. Most people go through hell before they hit the high water mark. 
you got to pay the dues. And as a matter of fact, and I've said this before, if you find out why there's a bankruptcy there, it's because he had the Taj Mahal Casino. That's the only bankruptcy I've seen. The Taj Mahal Casino in Atlantic City that he had worked on for eight months, a year, building it up. But, but, but oh, the whole time, he had the Taj Mahal crew, the president, the officers, the people that know gambling, know the Taj Mahal, know Atlantic City, know all that. And a whole bunch of them died in the plane crash three days before he opened up. So I don't need to be defensive. People have situations. Like I said, everybody isn't born destined to become whatever. You know, you could argue about the Kennedys. They dissipated their family inheritance pretty good over the years. You still have to work at it. You, you can't just assume because a guy has access to money that he should be successful all the time. There's plenty who aren't. But okay, was he presidential, not presidential? Because I don't want to get off on tangents. Don't tell me there was anything presidential about Biden comparing George Floyd to Martin Luther King. There wasn't. And I take big issue with that. I think that's a huge mistake. That's more than a mistake. It's an insult. It's an insult to Martin Luther King. What, what did George Floyd do in his life to advance the lives of Americans, particularly Americans of color? If you want to focus on that, what did he ever do in his lifetime? He was a criminal. He was an absolute, total criminal. That's all he ever was. He never contributed, to my knowledge, one thing to the culture, to society, to his own people or anybody else. He died. He was murdered. He was murdered. It happened to be by a white cop. And it happened to be in a grotesque way. Does that elevate him to be talked about by the President of the United States on Martin Luther King Day? No, of course not. But I haven't heard a lot about that. I haven't seen the outrage. Where is the outrage? That you got to have in his home. You can't let Biden off the hook on things like this. You're giving him a pass. We give Biden a pass on too many things. We just let it go. Okay, all right, well, he's digging his own grave. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's putting a nail in his coffin, another nail in his coffin, another. No, we've got to be the hammer for that nail. We've got to be the shovel. We've got to be what it takes to make people aware that this is a big mistake. This guy being in the office of the president. He shouldn't have been vice president. I didn't think much of him as a senator. What in the world happened? That man, you're telling me that man staying in his basement got 81 million votes? I'm sorry, I, I'm just, I ain't going to believe that, pal. Not unless you have a total recount of every single vote. You're not going to convince me. So there. Now, is he the president of the United States? Yes, he is. Do I acknowledge that? Yes, I do. We all do. President Trump does. Don't try to say he didn't or he doesn't. Did he try to say we shouldn't certify this election? Yes, he did. Because it shouldn't have been certified until we absolutely knew that election was not stolen. But we were never allowed the chance. And now they're calling us liars. Oh, the big lie. The big lie that the election was stolen. Well, you haven't proven to me it's a lie.
I still believe it. So here we have Martin Luther King Day, and we have the president comparing Martin Luther King to George Floyd. Okay? And then we heard something else about there aren't enough black coaches in the NFL. I don't know anything about the NFL. I love sports. I played football. I have friends of mine. As a matter of fact, I got to say, one of my good friends back in the day was Dan Reeves. He just passed away just a week or so ago. Dan Reeves was a great football player. We worked together in Columbia, South Carolina. He was the quarterback on the USC, University of South Carolina football team. And I was stationed in something, came down to Columbia every day to teach martial arts. I was the head instructor at the Barcoots Karate School on Jackson Boulevard. And then after that, I would work in the clubs. And when I worked at the Army-Navy Club on Gervais Street in Columbia, I was the bouncer <laughs> by, what, five, six days a week? And Dan Reeves, who was, <laughs> if I was standing behind him, he wouldn't even know I was there. Dan was like 6'2", 220, solid as a brick wall. I'm about half that, <laughs> about 5'11". About at, at that time, maybe 175, kind of sort of. Solid as rock, don't get me wrong. But we worked together at the Army-Navy Club, and, and sometimes it was kind of funny. One of the great guys. And we worked together for years because after I got out of the Air Force down there, I went to University of South Carolina, and Dan and all the guys on the football team that worked the clubs, when you work those clubs, man, Friday night and Saturday night, we have like six bounces on the floor. Well, Dan and four or five of us. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, it was Dan on the door and me on the floor. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, we had some funny moments. Dan Reeves was just a super great guy. And then, and then of course, after his career at Carolina, he was a running back for the Dallas Cowboys. I believe he played for Dallas for eight years. Then he became a coach of uh, the Atlanta Falcons and then the Denver Broncos. I think somewhere in there he got a Super Bowl ring. Everybody looked up to him. He was a leader. He was just an awesome human being. And he was from America's Georgia. Went home with him one time. He said, hey, Mike, I'm going home. Every Saturday night every week, come on, why don't y'all come with me? Let's go, blah, blah, blah. You know, funny stuff. I love the way those guys talk. And so I jumped in this car, and we drove. I think there was someone else with us. And I remember, you know, you leave South Carolina, you get down there, whatever the highways were. And we, we go down. Of course, I was stationed at Fort Benning for a very short time. And you go past Columbus, and then you go to Americus. That's where he lives. And when he wakes me up. And it's daylight. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of sleeping because we didn't leave till like, what, 1, 2 in the morning. Now it's it's daylight and he wakes me up and says, hey, Mike, I, I want you to see where where my property is or whatever like that. And I look up and a few minutes later he goes, see that, that right up there? That's where my property starts right there. There's a little wooden building and it's a lonely, you know, two-lane road. And we keep on going down. We're doing 80 miles an hour. And he's just talking, and I'm, I'm okay, uh, yeah. He says, and this is where when I was a kid, whatever. And then he goes, 10 minutes later, at 80 miles an hour, he goes, there it is, that's my house. <laughs> he was rolling by his property for, what, at least 10 minutes at 80 miles. Man, and whoa, baby, that's pretty cool stuff. But you know, 
He was a great coach, great friend, hell of a football player, quarterback at University of South Carolina. Those are fun days. I don't think we won too many football games. The big rivalry was Clemson. They said we could lose every game in the season and win Clemson. We had a great year. I don't know if much has changed. My, you know, my daughter lives down in Greenville, which is near Clemson. But my grandson is a fan of the Gamecocks, University of South Carolina, and they won a bowl game. You know, I don't follow that stuff. But I know that the NFL is dominated by black football players. Every time you look around, they take the best. When you go and you, and you see one of these recruiting things, they take the guys that can run the fastest, the guy that can perform the best. That's who they take. They don't ask them if they're white, if they're Jewish. Are you Jewish? We don't take Jews. No, no, no. They don't do that. If you're the best at whatever you're trying for, they're going to put you on the team. And so many great football players are black. Look, I, I'm sure there was a time when they didn't have blacks in the football leagues. I'm sure there was because this country's evolved. We've come from where there was huge segregation. And we've talked about that. Everybody knows about that. But, you know, we keep on striving to be better. And we have been. So if you look around in my lifetime, that I can remember, black football players have been dominating the NFL. And you don't say, oh, we have to have a quota. Do you say that? Is there diversity? Everybody comes out in the combines and they, they do all these things. Do they say, hey, got to have, what, 20% white? No, no, no. The country's... 60% white. Let's have 60. No, you don't do that. You get the best. That's what the NFL is known for. That's what professional sports are known for. Getting the best. Why should we equivocate on some part of it? Let's get in the union of the ticket takers and make sure that we have enough black and white and, and Mexican and whatever. How do you do that? Why would you? Why wouldn't you just get the best of everything? The best person for every single job. And make sure that whoever that person is, no matter their color, their religion, their anything else, let that not matter. That's what diversity is. But I'm here, and it's Martin Luther King Day, and they're coming out on these sports programs, which I only listen to because I'm in a in bar, a club, or a restaurant. Because I ain't going to voluntarily put one on. I'm sitting there for an hour. Yeah, maybe I spend a little <clears throat> too much time looking at politics. But that affects my life every day. That affects every aspect of our lives. What is the difference of why Tom Brady may or may not win the game against somebody? They analyze it up, back, up, and back. And one person makes one comment. And they blow it up. They did this whole thing on, there's not enough black coaches. What? You know, it might have been just one person making a comment. Man, I wish there were more black coaches. I don't know why there isn't more. You would think that there would be more black coaches because for the last, what, 30 or 40 years, there's so many black I, Those are comments. I mean, a media person is going to turn it into, oh, we'd have to have more black coaches out there. 
So maybe I just heard them say it a different way. Then the other thing, and I don't know why I bring this up on Martin Luther King Day, but it kind of sort of does go into it because they were talking about the Muslim terrorists that kidnapped a rabbi and three congregants from a, of a synagogue in Dallas. The whole day goes by, 10, 11 hours of negotiating. They brought in this crack FBI team from Washington. They flew him in, took him four hours to get there. They did everything right to get this thing taken care of and not lose any lives on either side. And as a matter of fact, I was listening to some of the commentary during the day, and people were talking about the fact, well, you don't want to lose any lives. You don't want to lose the hostages. Well, you don't want to lose them. You don't want anybody to get hurt. And the perpetrator, the terrorist that kidnapped these people that perpetrated this terrorist crime and all. You don't want to kill him. You know, we don't, we don't know. We don't know what, what drove him to where he is. What's his motive? Is it, you know, he, he's just a little bit whacked up or is there something more behind it? So you want to keep him alive, not damage him any more than you have to, to free the hostage. So what happened? One, you keep on hearing that this is not targeting the Jewish community. It's not anti-Semitism. And you go, huh? The guy goes into a synagogue. That's a Jewish church, a Jewish place of worship. Takes hostage the three congregants and the rabbi. So that was like, Okay, I, I don't get that. They were talking about it. They get the hostages freed because this crack professional negotiating, this FBI negotiating team, they know what they're doing, man. They do. They get them free, and then they kill the terrorists. They kill them. Why? The hostages are out. They're free. You really have to kill the guy? If that happened, and... If that happened and there's just a guy and he's, unless somebody's life is in danger, some, it's the same thing. Ashley Babbitt, what was she doing? What kind of threat was she to the guy that shot her? I would think that they would show us what the threat was to this crack professional FBI hostage negotiating team. That would make them kill this guy once there were no more hostages. I mean, I don't know. But when the next thing, the statement that they make is that this wasn't anti-Semitism. And Biden refers to it in some context that you would take a connotation that it was about a white nationalist. You go, what? Wait, what? They didn't want to say the guy was a, a Muslim. His ransom was getting out this Pakistani Muslim terrorist who's in prison in Texas for 89 years. So, and they're going to tell us that the Jewish community wasn't targeted, right? I don't know how you do that. I, I just don't know how you make that leave and expect the American people. But then again, where's the outrage? Yeah, I heard a few little comments on Fox. I didn't hear anything on CNN. I don't watch CNN all that much. But I didn't see anything anyways. I didn't hear anything anyway. No one said anything that I heard. There was no outrage. There was no, whoa, 
How in the world? They had Jewish leaders on television, and we saw them say, "This are you? that's ridiculous. Of course. But nobody said anything that I saw about the fact that the FBI killed the terrorists before they could take him in and question him. I would think that the opportunity to question him was a golden opportunity to find out what happened, where he came from, who was behind him, where was his motivation. There's so much that was there. But, hey, it is what it is. So when I look at this, and I'm going to get into maybe just a little bit of what Biden said in his press conference, a couple of things that really bothered me. But overall, I just want to know, what did Trump ever say that was worse than what Biden says on a regular basis? What was it that has triggered this hatred of Donald Trump? I think it's kind of important. And by the way, one of the things that bothered me most about Biden's press conference slash speech was that he kept on referring to the past president and the past administration and how terrible he left them and how terrible the country was. Are you kidding? There was nothing terrible except COVID. If there were votes for Biden over some threshold that's going to always vote for the left wing, for the Democrat, if there were any votes over that, it was strictly tied to COVID. Not just the Biden saying, oh, he's going to crush COVID, oh, he's going to do this, but also the media and the whole left wing, but certainly the media and Hollywood, pointing to Trump for the 350,000 deaths in 2019 and 20 under Trump. The 350,000 deaths. Yeah. And every day, every single day, they just hammered it in. All these deaths, Trump is responsible for all of them. It's all about Trump. All these deaths, all about Trump. Every day. And there's Biden. Oh, we're going to fix this. We're going to fix this. Now, of course, it's a year later. Take a look back. Over 450,000 deaths from COVID in this last year under Biden. So Biden way surpasses Trump. You don't hear a word. You wouldn't hear a word about it. And you could dispute me on the number. Was it 450,000 more? 443,000 more? Yeah, you could argue all you want. It might have been almost 500,000 more. I could be wrong. But if I am wrong, it's on the upside. So is that many more? But do you hear one thing? Anything at all? Trump had the test. He had ordered something like, I forgot the number, 60 million. Biden never followed through. That's why we're short on testing right now. You can go through a whole bunch of stuff. So what was it that was so terrible about Trump? Oh, Trump said this. Look what Biden says. Biden says the most horrible things. Before he was president, he said horrible things. Since he's, I mean, that comment comparing Martin Luther King to George Floyd, come on, that alone. There's so much more. I just come back from that Trump rally the other day. I look at what Trump did, and now I look at Biden. Trump was inspiration. I don't care. Yeah, he says the election is stolen. Georgia Democrat, Stacey Abrams. Her election was, what, two years before Trump? And she's still saying it was stolen. Have you heard Maxine Waters lately? She, 
by the way, aside from all the things she's saying about Republicans and about Trump, now she's accusing Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema of hating blacks. Right? It's absolutely crazy. When Trump said he wanted to do away with the filibuster, and he did, he wanted to do it to get his things to the Republicans said, no, we can't. Now, the Democrats, except for, for Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, except for those two, I said, oh, yeah, let's let's get away the filibuster. You got to laugh. So what was it that offended them so much that they were ready to walk away from some of the best policies that I've ever seen? And now inflation? I got to tell you something about inflation. You ain't seen nothing yet. Interest rates are a false multiplier. Labor costs are a false multiplier. And the artificial, that's government-forced wages, have no basis in economic reality. So they're not viable. And they're not sustainable. Because the government comes in and tells the local business that they got to pay a minimum wage of 15 bucks an hour. What is that? relate to if that local business needs out of maybe 20 employees three or four who are ten dollar an hour or eight dollars an hour how does the government over in washington dc say no 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 make it 15 and by the way you don't think that's a crusher for a business you don't know what's going on walk a mile in that man's shoes or that woman's shoes that business owner's shoes you might see a big difference because, yeah, one year they may make a big profit. Next year, things are down a little bit. That big profit turns into a little loss. Little losses are big because you have to dig in to your own money. and You better have some. So it's a big deal. The government is just saying 15, 20. I mean, depending on who you're listening to, Bernie Sanders will tell you, you know, a huge number. AOC will be a huge You're going to listen to them. Who is Joe Biden listening to? Does it really make sense to have a, a national minimum wage? California's bad enough. I sold my business. I'm out of California. I'm not going to be trampled under these government regulations. It doesn't make sense. You can't win. Don't tell me some of these businesses are winning. Some are. Some always are. Go roll the dice. May as well go to a casino. That's about where your chances of winning are going. We're not that far away from that kind of risk-taking by putting money into a business in California and succumbing to all these laws, rules, and regulations that have no basis in real economics. They come from the government. So these labor costs, it's a force multiplier. It's really scary. If you don't, yeah, you don't know anything. Ignorance is, is bliss sometimes because you don't have to know. But we all need to do a, a little more work to figure out. When you look at pro sports, we're going back to pro sports again. Yeah, they have salary caps. Salary caps. And they have it for a reason. Those teams making bazillions of dollars. There's a cap. Past which, if they pay too many of these superstars over X dollars, three million, five million, whatever, they're gonna go broke. So I'm sure they don't mind the salary cap. They'll work around it. They'll get through it. 
A business is going to have salary caps? Man. And what about crime? The new mayor of New York City, he says that the subway crimes, this woman that just got, 40-year-old woman, gets thrown in, in front of a train. Everybody just, that's it. I don't hear any more than that. Here's a healthy, wonderful, educated woman who is so generous in every way. Liked, making coffee. She's standing there waiting for the train at 9 o'clock on the Sunday morning. And someone throws her in front of the train? Are you kidding? That's the horror. That's a horror. What happened to her? I don't mean was she thrown in front of the train, obviously. And did she die? Yes. But how? Nobody wants to talk about that. I don't see that on TV or radio. I don't see anybody analyze. She got run over. By a tree. Oh my God. What in the world did she do to deserve that? And then the mayor says, well, safety on the subway's a perception. Now he's changed that. You know, he's gone back and he's said, no, no, no. That perception is real and that perception is damaging. He said the right things, but is he going to do the right things? I don't know. Somebody's got to handle the situation with just runaway crime in America. And again, yes, that's what George Floyd brought to America. Not what Martin Luther King brought to America. You don't compare the two. Martin Luther King elevated the issue of civil rights, brought it to people in a way that people said, well, wait a minute, he's right. He's got a good point. You should judge people not by the color of the skin, but by the value of their character. It's their character that counts. You don't judge people by the color, by their character. He brought that up. He elevated the humanity of American culture. He did a great thing. What did George Floyd do? He brought death and destruction. When he died, this criminal's death, which was a murder by a cop, brought the death and destruction in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, and all over the place, Seattle, Oregon, the whole country. There was rioting, billions of dollars of destruction of federal courthouses and properties. There was a loss of around 40 lives, innocent lives, because of that. That's what George Floyd's death brought to America, President Biden, in case no one else is going to tell you that, because I haven't heard anybody say anything about it. But how do the police make us safe when they're handcuffed with regulations that prevent them from doing their jobs and expose them to liability, personal liability, if they violate, what, the rights of the criminals. I remember when criminals didn't have rights. Yeah, I mean, they had rights in law. But, you know, when police would arrest somebody, if they happened to bang their head on the top of the car, or, now it's a lawsuit. Police reform seems to aim at limiting the range of action law enforcement officers can take. Yeah, they're limiting the range of action. Perhaps. Reform should increase that. Instead, 
Why is it? Okay, let's reform the police. Let's allow cities and states to provide the insurance protection with oversight. You know, if you see a company just bangs a guy's head into the top of the car going in, boom, there's oversight here. If there's some, some malice, if there's, there's, the cop's not supposed to be doing that. He's not the judge or the jury. He's the arresting officer. If the guy's resisting, that cop, he or she, they've got to do what they've got to do to overpower that resisting criminal. And that should be covered, okay? You've got to make room for that. You got to do it. But you know, when you talk about oversight, you talk about reform, how about martial arts training? How about martial arts proficiency? Not just a course here and there. You know, I'm a martial artist. And when I was in South Carolina training every single day, not five days a week, not six days, seven days a week, and two a day workouts, and most of those days when I was teaching, for a couple of two or three hours, and I was training for a couple of two or three hours. I mean, on and on. One of the things we did down in Columbia, South Carolina, we, we trained the police department. So the cops would get a chance to come in once a month. It was free. We'd volunteer. We did it and spent, I think it was a two-hour class. I'm not sure. Once a month. And we'd usually see different faces. The idea was to get them to see the value of coming in and signing up. And, and once in a while, they would, but not that much because there wasn't a lot of money back then, but it was a lot of money back then, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. So back then, if it was 30 or 40 bucks a month, today it's maybe 150 bucks a month. I, I, don't, I don't know what the latest numbers are, but I'm not talking about a once a month free deal. I'm talking about doing whatever it takes to subsidize these cops, these law enforcement offices and help them with either major discounts, or scholarships, or whatever, so that they can become proficient. I would also make their promotions based on their proficiency levels as they go along, because I would ensure that most would have the skills. If you have somebody who's trained for steadily, consistently, for at least a year, they're probably going to have the skills that they're going to ensure that they would be able to handle criminals with a lot less danger of enjoying themselves and less danger of collateral damage to other people and to the criminal because it's really a fact. The more you train, the longer, the more consistent, and, and the more you move up in, in your proficiency levels, the easier it is for you to be able to control another person. And that's important. I don't think you can underestimate it. I, I want to talk a, a, a little bit about Biden's speech, press conference, whatever you want to call it. Basically, I, I just want to get into two things here. I want to get into the Ukraine. And, well, let me take it from there. My first comment, who cares? It's a terrible thing. I don't want to say it that way because we care. You know, what's Europe doing? It's a terrible thing, but Europe is allowing it. Germany signed the Nord Stream 2 deal. And they're not asking us to stop it, that we know of. It's their problem much more than it's ours. And although we should support the Ukraine, we need to make sure we don't get into a war. And therein lies the problem. That's right. 
Once again, weak Democrat leadership brings us right to the edge of a war. The only Democrat to get us out of a war was Truman. Wilson got us into a war, World War I, and maybe into World War II, because the Treaty of Versailles, the treaty that was signed to end World War I, was so badly written, and it actually helped create World War II. Of course, FDR helped us get into World War II by not being prepared for World War II. Had he seen, and he did see, he knew, the country knew what was going on in 1936-37 in Germany and Europe. They should have been preparing right then, right then. Oh, and you could say all you want, and I know people tell me, well, he tried. He made this, he did that, but he didn't do it. So you know what? The next time you try to pick up a book, don't pick it up. Just try. No, you don't get credit for trying. No, I'm sorry. E for effort? Yeah, I know. You get credit for doing it. You didn't do it. So we get into World War II, and then Truman gets us out of World War II. Boom. Here we are in Korea. So I don't know what it is. Kennedy in Vietnam? Don't tell me Eisenhower. We did not have a full-scale war, and Eisenhower got us out of Korea. Period. So I was in Vietnam, and I was in under LBJ, not Kennedy, but however you want to call it. And then Jimmy Carter. Look, I can go on and on and try to make a case, but no one on the other side is going to buy it. I know that. You're going to be defense. Oh, no, we had to do this, and this is what happened. We couldn't control it. Whatever you're going to say, I get it. But the never-Trumpers can squirm all they want. Neither North Korea, China, Russia, or Iran was going to threaten war with Trump in charge. As When he's in charge as commander-in-chief, no. No. <laughs> it, it wasn't going to happen. And not only did he stand up to them, he stood up to them, and he at the same time said he doesn't want us to go to war. But they knew he was preparing for war. He was preparing every day. He built up that military. And he said to them, I don't want a war. It's the last thing I want. But you cross that red line in Syria, you use chemical warfare on your own people, boom, I'm going to send in the missiles. So they knew that he was going to follow through. So you could, yeah, yeah, never Trump is, you could squirm all you want, but when Trump was in charge, you didn't see these kind of threats. And on a humanitarian, this is going to be bad for Europe. But if we don't get involved, the chips will fall wherever they may, mostly on Russia and Europe. But speaking of chips, the Chinese who are going into Taiwan is a whole different ballgame, all different picture. Taiwan, among other things, is the world's largest chip maker. Oh, yeah. Lots more reason to keep the Chinese out. But this may be the biggest single factor. Now, of course, we can see a clear path to discourage Russia, and we should. But all this White House is doing is threatening to do things if Russia invades. But without doing anything to prevent Russia, like stopping the Nord Stream pipelines, which probably, arguably, should be stopped anyway. Why not just use the fact 
as a good reason to get to Germany and say, look, you got to stop it now. Because if you don't, if we wait until they go in, it's going to be too late. Stop it now, and then they'll know that we're serious about the rest of the sanctions, all the economic sanctions. But if, if we wait, and we're just going to slap their wrist after the damage is done, it's too late. Then the danger is in the backlash, because once they go into the Ukraine, the backlash can escalate to an even bigger war. Not that a Russian invasion of Ukraine is not a war. And it is one. What did Biden say? That he doesn't want to see this invasion. But then, wait a minute. What if it's just a little incursion? Huh? Take everything he said that was ridiculous in that speech and in that press conference. So much of it. Not mentioning crime. Not mentioning the border. Not once. Not mentioning all the people dying by drugs and fentanyl and all the rest of everything. Where was the press, the American press, the media, asking about these things so glaringly there by their absence? They weren't there. They weren't any place. They weren't any place to be seen or heard. But he goes and says, oh, it could be a little incursion. Like, it's okay for that? What kind of man says things like that? You are president of the United States, Mr. Biden. You cannot say stuff like that. Where's the backlash? Well, the backlash is probably going to come from Russia. Who's going to say, hey, just a little incursion. Come on, you're making a big deal out of a little incursion. What's wrong with you? You're Americans, you're all the same. A little incursion, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, the world's coming to an end. We're going to World War Three. No, the backlash is what Russia does and what Europe does. This is going to put Europe on a war footing, and we don't want that. So we want to discourage them before they have this little incursion into the Ukraine. Not that an invasion of Ukraine isn't a war which can be avoided only before, and not that it isn't a war. It's a war. As small as it is, it's a war. And that's horrible. But before it escalates to something huge, there's something, if there's anything we should do to prevent that just because, and not just because, I was, I was thinking just because, no, not just because of economics, strategies of who's going to be here and who's going to be there and where, whatever. No, just because of the humanity. People die in war. Lives are destroyed along with property, and nations shouldn't be threatened by other nations. But waiting for the damage to be done is like encouraging the damage. Saying that encouraging is okay. Not doing what needs to be done to prevent it, to stop it, to discourage Russia. Now, it's encouraging them. Oh, I can, let me see, I'll go, okay, let's just go in. That's, that doesn't work, that's not good, that's not healthy, that doesn't help. Us or the Russians. Because when they're in there, man, these Ukrainians, they're badasses. Trust me. And you know we're going to give them all kinds of weapons. And then what could happen? Yeah, what could go wrong that could get America involved in a physical war? What? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to take that risk. Do you? 
Biden seems to think it's okay. Just an encouragement. He seems to think it's okay. He said so. Live on worldwide television. Worldwide. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Now you take the same thing. The same lack of any brain power, anything. On the other side of the world, look, it applies to Hong Kong. In some ways, although China has at least some legitimacy in, you know, its handling in Hong Kong, it's a serious situation. And we should be on top of it. But we should be on top of Hong Kong so that they know, hey, we're outraged about it. Well, what they want to do with Taiwan is what we should do when I say they, the Democrats, Biden, this current administration. That's what we should be doing with Hong Kong so we don't have to get to Taiwan. But they're going to let us get to a point where we're going to try to stop the, the Chinese from going to Taiwan and exercising their one China policy. It's their policy. We got to stop them way before that. Stop them at the Hong Kong so they'll know that human rights violations, I know, it's hard. It's hard because we got the NBA, because we got all these businesses that don't want to be stopped from doing business with China. So they they dance to their master's voice, and that's China. And when China goes in and takes over Taiwan, if they do, I got to tell you, everything we just said about the Ukraine applies, plus much, much more practical, economic, terrible consequences. And it's a lot more than just the computer chips, and it's a lot more. Well. That's my analysis of where we are this week. I can't even believe that's where we are. But as long as this lights a fire under the Republicans' asses, as long as this gets them to take a long, hard look, and the Democrats have to take a look at what Joe Biden is, what he's doing, what he's saying, his leadership skills or lack thereof, they see it, it's on stage, it's on display. It's a cry for help. It's absolutely... Joe Biden standing up there and doing this press conference with his, uh, it was, uh, uh, and, and then saying what he said about the Ukraine. On top of what he said about Martin Luther King, this is a cry for help, and we need to respond. And the Republicans and the Democrats need to get together, and you need to know. And all these people, the fact that he could make Donald Trump such a big factor, and let us know that Donald Trump is so deeply embedded in his head. But all the Democrats, all the never Trumpers are, they have him so right there. Why? We need to talk about that more. We need to understand more. Donald Trump's policies were so good and positive for America and for the world. And now we're living with just the opposite. We need to rectify this. As my friend Jay Redmond said, the world is upside down. By the way, Jay Redmond said a few other things that I like as well. So if you haven't listened to Jay Redmond and his uh, Overcome Army, I'll get more definite information you need to. He's great. All right. I'm New York Mike. This is Roll Right Radio. And we will be back next week. I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Roll Right Radio podcast. Listen, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.